I will oh, make about athletes. I've had athletes yeah. that, you know, once we get them eating more balanced yeah. instead of the, yeah. to, in the extreme, that their performance actually improves and they totally will not believe it when you tell them that on the front end, but then, you know, the yes. proof is in the results, right? Like, oh, it's I so true. This much off my personal best time. I'm like, oh. Oh, right. Isn't that interesting. Yeah. When you're, you're, pro, you know, you're giving your body, yeah, nutrition and nutrients. Yeah. It's going to do better. I know we, we talk a lot about that, you know, because the carbohydrate is, is, you know, the, the, I don't know what you want to call it, but, you know, the one that gets all the bad reviews. And, and it's like carbohydrates are the main energy source for moving our bodies, especially at moderate to high intensity levels. So it's an important piece to be reintroducing. Because, of course, initially, yes, we're really focused on protein, but like liberalizing their intake and, and introducing producing more carbohydrate rich foods is a great, great thing. And, and you're going to feel better. You're going to recover better. You're going to move better, sleep better, you know, all those things. And I think again, at, um, there's a lot of mis kind of information and judgment out there about, oh, you're eating carbs, you know, and I'm just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I, it just, it's so frustrating, you know, when you're working I think with a folks. common disordered habit that I see is when people are restrictive of carbohydrates, that a high percentage of them end up binging on carbohydrates or feeling out of control. Right. So, you know, maybe they have sure. a protein shake in the morning, their lunches, you know, hard boiled egg and a cheese stick and some almonds, have a Greek yogurt for a snack, meat and vegetables for dinner. And then they're, you know, eating a ginormous bowl of popcorn late at night and feeling out of control, which it, it does feel like that. But what mm -hmm. is what the intervention is not working on emotional or disordered eating, it's making your diet more balanced because the body's craving something. And that's hard exactly. for people to recognize to trust their body, what it's asking for. And so that doesn't mean, you know, eat rows of Oreos late at night, but incorporate more carbohydrates during the day. And you might recognize yeah. that your carbohydrate craving goes down in the mm -hmm. evening. So that could look like Absolutely. restricting during the week and kind of um, it's not cheating on the weekend. It's just maybe starving for carbohydrates on the weekend. And that feels out of control. So if we're consistently getting carbohydrates throughout the day, then sometimes that disordered habit even just goes away. Hi, welcome to the Active Bariatric Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Tirapelli, a bariatric sports dietitian, and I help post-bariatric clients achieve their fitness goals through better nutrition and addressing the problems that come from typical bariatric and sports nutrition advice that just don't work for an active bariatric lifestyle. Welcome to another episode of the Active Bariatric Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Tirapelli, bariatric sports dietitian. Today, I'm really excited to have on two guests, Kelly Broadwater and Chandra Evans. Psychologist Kelly Broadwater and registered dietitian Chandra Evans are eating disorder specialists who have provided bariatric care to pre- and post-operative patients for the past 20 years. Together, they built a successful outpatient aftercare program for bariatric surgery patients dealing with eating disorders, addiction, and other mental health and nutritional concerns. Passionate about educating integrated health providers, they frequently present on topics related to their areas of expertise and have co-authored a comprehensive guide entitled Berry Educated. They aim to bridge the gap between clinicians who treat eating disorders and those who care for bariatric patients. Hey, ladies, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate your time. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, I hope you guys had a good <laughs> I was just going to say that. I hope you both had a good Thanksgiving. Did you both have a good one? We did. Yeah, it was wonderful. 
Good. Awesome. Cool. Well, let's dive right in because I'm just so excited to have you here because especially in the clientele that I work with, um, you know, I think that um, disordered eating patterns, eating disorders, it's certainly kind of part and can be part of this multifactorial disease of obesity. And oftentimes we don't think about that for someone that's had bariatric surgery, that it could be something that they, you know, struggle with. And I, I just really appreciate your expertise. It's not my area of expertise. And so I'm so grateful for your time today. We're glad to share our knowledge. Thank yeah. you for having us. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about your experience that have led to specialize in working with bariatric patients who struggled with disordered eating. So we were both in the eating disorder space. Um, we were providing counseling and nutritional therapy. And um, about 20 years ago, we got into bariatrics because it kind of seemed to make sense that, you know, those things would go hand in hand. And, you know, really the lifetime estimates of eating disorders in the bariatric population is about 30%, which is probably a low, low ball estimate. And, you know, when you look at the full spectrum of not just eating disorders, but disordered eating, that number goes up to at least 50%. So it's a, wow. it's a big part of that population. And so when we started doing preoperative work, we were identifying people that didn't know they had eating disorders and, you know, it kind of took off from there. And then, you know, afterwards, the surgery doesn't change your brain. It changes your stomach. So right. Um, right. afterwards, you if, People haven't had the treatment to remission that they need to. They can relapse. Um, it's pretty rare that you see an eating disorder just completely come out of the blue after surgery with, where somebody didn't have some kind of disordered eating or issues prior. But um, it, it's a pretty big part of that that journey. Um, and so hopefully getting people to recovery, ideally before surgery, but then supporting them afterwards if they have any struggles. So, yeah, we we kind of fell into it because of the eating disorder specialty. The bariatric surgeon in town said, Hey, that makes sense that you guys would be the ones to, to screen these folks. And, and then we just fell in love with the work and the population. So, Sure. And you've been doing this for 20 years together. Yes. Wow. <laughs> we can complete what a friendship. and we may do that today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, can you share some disordered eating habits and behaviors that you witness in some bariatric patients postoperatively that can be hard to recognize? Yeah, there's a lot of disordered eating habits that can be hard to recognize post-surgery. And I think it can be difficult to recognize both in the individual person that might be doing the behavior and then professionally, it can be hard to recognize. So I want to share several disordered eating habits and maybe some examples. So you might be able to try to relate to see if that's something that you're struggling with. Um, the first one I want to talk about is actually binging. Binging can be really hard to identify post-surgery because the volume of food that would constitute a binge is significantly smaller than it would be preoperatively. And so something that's really important in recognizing whether or not somebody is binging is a feeling of loss of control whenever they're engaging in that behavior. So a binge is not necessarily about the amount of calories that that person has consumed in a sitting or the specific volume of food that they consume, but actually feeling out of control while they're engaging in that eating disorder behavior. And so an example of what that might look like is preoperatively for somebody to really feel like they're binging, they might eat a whole large pizza with a, you know, a two liter of soda and postoperatively, depending on the surgery someone had, someone's tolerance, how far out they are from surgery, they might eat one large piece of pizza, but feel really compulsive while they're eating it. 
And that could actually be constituted as a binge. But if you tell a medical provider that you had a pizza pizza last night, or just in their own head and heart, knowing I had pizza last night, you might not realize that that's disordered eating behavior. And so that's just something that I would ask you to be honest in your heart about if you're feeling a real loss of control over um, food choices that you're making or the portion that you're consuming, that you really check in with your support system and just talk about that that could be a disordered eating habit for you. Um, another disordered eating habit is grazing, picking, and binging. And I want to be really clear that that is significantly different than having an intentional snack. So when you are planning a snack middle of the afternoon or mid-morning or after a workout or late at night, and you're consuming that to get your nutrition needs met or to maintain healthy blood sugar levels and maintain um, just the mood stability and be able to get through your workout or get through your day, that intentional snack is not disorder eating habit. We want you to do that. But when you're really picking and grazing, and there might be a sense of loss of control with this too, that can be real disordered eating habits that almost always result in weight regain. Um, an example that I want to share with you is I had a woman who came to work with me because she had regained some weight and she was uncomfortable with that. And when we had went through just kind of a typical day or a 24-hour recall, nothing really stood out. But one of the things that she would comment on is having a couple handfuls of pretzels throughout the day. And so when, when she continued to have her weight trend up, um, it, was, it was frustrating for both of us because we weren't really able to identify what was causing that. So she finally agreed to do some food records. And those couple handfuls of pretzels ended up being a half a large bag of pretzels. And she wasn't intentionally being dishonest on her behavior, but she was minimizing the behavior because pre-surgery, she was going to the vending machine multiple times, maybe getting something sweet and then getting something salty or grabbing a soda. And she's used to having flavor in her mouth. So when she's eating half of a large bag of pretzels over the course of a whole afternoon while sitting at her computer, she didn't recognize that as unhealthy because in her mind, it's lower fat, it's lower calorie. She wasn't feeling overly full because pretzels are soft calories and she was able to tolerate that, but that's what was causing a lot of the weight gain for her. And so that could be about maybe some anticipatory anxiety about work. She had shared kind of a mental head game of, if I finish this email, then I'm gonna give myself a couple pretzels or maybe procrastination of, I'm gonna have a couple pretzels before I go um, have this hard conversation. And so just recognizing picking, grazing and nibbling can be disordered habits, but that is very different than having an intentional snack. Um, night eating. Can I interject one thing? So I read something just last night that said we shouldn't call it binge eating. We should call it reactive eating. And I was like, oh, yeah, we should. And so, so yeah, just what Chandra just described of that, you know, I'm having anxiety or this is going on or I'm trying to, you know, procrastinate doing something and you're eating not for hunger reasons out of reaction to something else going on, you know, emotionally or physically. Um, and, you know, everyone eats when they're not hungry to some degree, this is sure. a persistent sure. pattern. So, sorry to. Yeah, it me. sounds, can I just say too, it sounds a lot like there's that relationship with um, it's the mental aspect of it that, for example, that loss of control around the food items or this, the snacking, the grazing, you're saying like as an anticipatory, you know, tough conversation coming up, there's like some anxiety. It sounds like there, there's that link there. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So another eating disorder behavior say, might be compensatory eating. And this is when someone is intentionally trying to compensate for calories they consume that they um, don't want to have consumed, they don't want in them anymore, or they want to just compensate for consuming them. And so an example of what that might look like is over-exercising. So 
Um, somebody had a piece of dessert last night and they're not comfortable with those extra calories that they consumed. And so they're going to work out extra hard the next day. That's compensating for calories that were consumed. Um, another one might be if somebody is restricting afterwards. So if somebody ate something maybe late that evening that is higher calorie or that they didn't plan for and their mentality is I'm not going to eat the next day or I'm going to skip the next meal, that degree of restriction is compensating for something that they ate with intention of trying to control their weight. That is disordered eating habits. This is very confusing in my opinion because I think that we as American dieters are even taught to do that. So if you eat a right. 300 calorie brownie, you have to work out on the treadmill for this long to burn that off. Uh, that's not a right. healthy relationship with food though. And so being able to talk through some of those disordered thoughts with a professional to bring some peace with food is really valuable. But I just want to validate that it's very confusing because things that you were taught, now you might hear from me that, no, you're not supposed to be doing that. And it's very confusing and overwhelming, but we do want you to have peace with food. So if there's a lot of guilt and there's excessive thought about um, eating a particular food or wanting to get rid of it, that's when we really want you to reach out and ask for professional help. Vomiting yeah. is another compensatory behavior that can be disordered eating. Um, I also want to point out on this one, what I'm not talking about is in the early stages postoperatively, and you are really new to experimenting with, you know, how moist does, does the chicken have to be? How small does your bites have to be? The pacing of your eating. If you get some food stuck in your stoma, in that little hole between your stomach and your small intestines, and it feels stuck because you accidentally took too big of a bite and you that results in vomiting, that is not disordered eating habits. That is a very normal part of the bariatric journey. But when you eat something that you are not okay with, you're not giving yourself permission to just absorb those nutrients and have that nutrition, and you're wanting to get rid of it with intention of trying to control your weight, that's disordered eating habits. Um, and so I just ask you to be very mindful when this surgery already puts you at risk for malnutrition, because it's hard to get your needs met. And then if you're vomiting on top of that, that is super high risk for malnutrition, dehydration, mm -hmm. electrolyte imbalance, hormone imbalance. And so if you find yourself thinking about that or engaging in that, um, please be honest with yourself on whether it's intentional, but ask for help if you find that you are doing that regularly, it can be extremely dangerous. Um, yeah. Restriction, I notice as far as a compensatory behavior can sometimes be intentional or it could be unintentional. I gave a couple examples of when it's intentional of I'm not going to eat later because I ate at Olive Garden for lunch today. That's it. That's intentionally restricting. If you're also doing it as a means to control your weight. So an example that I want to share with you is I had a woman that had come into my office. Um, her husband brought her to me because for the first three months postoperatively, she was dizzy and lightheaded and her husband didn't even trust her to drive. So she comes in my office and we talk about what her typical intake is and she's consuming around 300 calories a day. So I share with her how she's not getting her nutrition needs met and if she consumed more nutrition, that that would help with her energy levels, um, her mental stability, just feeling better blood sugar levels, etc. And she was extremely terrified of consuming more calories because she believes that this level of restriction is what is helping maximize her weight loss um, and maintain her weight loss. And so we had to review kind of the, the non-scale goals that are related to bariatric surgery about improving quality of life. And when she's not even able to drive herself to, a, to an appointment 
her quality of life is being compromised. And so it was incredibly anxiety provoking for her to start incorporating smaller portions of food, but she eventually did and started to come back and felt better. The tricky part for her was that three months out from surgery, she was not in tune with her hunger at all, but didn't recognize dizzy and lightheaded was actually her body screaming for more calories and more nutrition. And so that was helpful for her to learn non-traditional um, forms of hunger, that it wasn't just her stomach growling. And so just um, understanding that this surgery really dysregulates the gut's ability to communicate with the brain in terms of hunger levels, that you are to eat more on a structure and routine basis. If you're just waiting for hunger, especially in the early stages, or for some people, hunger never returns, um, then you might be restricting, whether it's intentional or unintentional, that can be very problematic in terms of your health. Yeah. We, I know I talk a lot about that with my, um, you know, active bariatric individuals who are, you know, now they're moving their body quite a bit and they have some of those signs like, yeah, sometimes I feel a little bit dizzy or lightheaded. And when we take a look at what they're consuming versus the amount of movement that they're doing for their, you know, daily activities, you know, they might be under fueling for that type of, of amount of activity. So um, a lot of times we talk about it's okay, you know, in the beginning, especially like you mentioned, I have that too, where folks, I just don't feel hungry. And, and it's like, yeah, that's part of the surgical tool, so to speak, and um, kind of structuring in some snacks is not a bad idea, Absolutely. you know, even initially um, when you're not feeling as hungry. And that kind of brings me to like my next question. So the folks that I work with have fitness goals after bariatric surgery. Um, and I was wondering at what point a movement goal might turn into compulsive exercise and how would someone identify if their good intention habits could be coming unhealthy? Sure. And it can be tricky to identify because also what do we praise our bariatric surgery patients for? Oh, you're moving, right. you're, you're, you're training moving. for something, right. you're, you know, right. you're getting out there and doing a 10K or what, you know, um, sure. it's really about the intention behind it and the kind of the mindset. And it has, um, you know, the way I talk about it is an addictive feel. So it has that right. obsessive drive. Um, maybe they're very rigid in their rules about how much and when and where and what intensity and they they can't deviate from that where it's like okay this there's no flexibility here um you know if they are exercising despite there being a physical or emotional burden or injury you know that they they have to do it no matter what um you know even if they're to the extent of like missing out on other activities um, right definitely if they're continuing even when they're injured or ill, that would be kind of a sign like, okay, this has gone really far. Also, what happens to them when they can't exercise? Are they super anxious, super restless, feel a lot of guilt and shame, you know, checking in with themselves about, okay, how is my reaction to not exercising? Is this kind of quote unquote normal or not? Um, right. Really that sense of feeling obligated, like I have to do this X amount of hours, X amount of days. And, and again, just that inflexibility with that um, and, and keeping going, even if there's negative consequences. I think yeah, there's no literature on compulsive exercise in bariatric surgery patients. There is not. <laughs> when we wrote I mean, the no. book, I was like, oh, <laughs> zero, zero studies. Yeah. Um, but what anecdotally I've seen in, in those folks is just this extreme fear of weight recurrence and that they really yes. feel like they have to stave that off. Um, right. There is an online test that's free called the compulsive exercise test. So it goes through questions that um, a, a, an athlete can ask themselves and, and kind of help hash out like, okay, has this crossed that line? Um, right. You know, usually 
the professional might see it if you're working with somebody you know regularly you might see it before they do because there's kind of that level of denial and defensiveness and I'm doing something so healthy that I've wanted to do all my life or that everyone's always told me I should be doing all my life so um you know it it can be tricky to to parse out at first but then as you kind of get into the details of it it's like okay this this feels you know like an addiction right and I was going to say, I oftentimes hear that, you know, especially as they be- begin training for something and then it's like more is better. And it's like, no, more is just more. And at some point it sounds like if if your relationship with it is getting to a point where, like you're saying, you're having anxiety if you can't work out or if you are, you know, having anxiety that if you don't work out, you're going to have regain. I hear that quite a bit, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that you're mentioning these these kind of signs and symptoms and things to be aware of, because I want folks to understand that just like we talk about with having a healthy relationship with food, it's the same thing with having a healthy relationship with movement and, mm-hmm. um, you know, making that's it's wonderful to have that goal. But like you mentioned, it's it's kind of overemphasized and, and like, yeah, you're moving and that's a great thing. But then there can be a point where we cross over and and maybe we're going into an area that it's becoming an addiction like you said and and I do see that quite a bit. Yeah. Do you work with folks that have that specifically? Um not as much. Um again, I don't think they self-identify for Right. For, so sometimes we worked with people that were like, "Hey, this this sounds <laughs> um Yeah. But you know, I think also too like even when they go to their medical providers, they're getting praised for the amount of right. exercise. But it's like, yeah, I'm exercising every day. But like, are they telling their doctor, you know, to what extent and and just kind of that right. overtraining? You know, if they're in right. some kind of group, like they're in a runner's group or something, like how like are other people in their group training to that level? You know, I mean, not that we don't, we always tell people don't compare yourself to others, but if you're like, you know, seeing that like, okay, I'm the fanatic here in this group. Um, right. You know, that can kind of be a, a measure. Um, I don't, but like I said, I don't see it a lot because I don't think they self-identify as this is what my problem is. It's more like right. caught on kind of the back end of things. What would you say? Sure. Well, I just think that something that's difficult for the patients is what I hear from my clients is not feeling enough, not good enough, or that they're not doing enough. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, you, you gain, you, you gain too much weight and now you're losing too fast and now you've lost too much or you're not working out enough and now you're working out too much. And um, it's just right. really easy to be overwhelmed. And so again, I just, you know, it's our job professionally to help assess and to try to bring balance to people's lives. But I also think people have to be honest in their heart on what feels good to them. Um, and that's even difficult because if they've not been able to exercise and now it feels good to do so, um, but it is at, at what expense? Are other things in their life being compromised, time with their friends and right. family or being you know, artsy and crafty or because they're spending so much time exercising, it's really hard to find that balance. And I just think that um, it's helpful for clients to be honest in their heart on where they want that balance to be. And sometimes when we're finding that balance, our pendulum has to swing one way or the other farther for them to figure out where they want to kind of hang out in the middle. So I just, I have compassion that it's a hard balance to find. If you're missing out on sleep, that's, a, I mean, I'm a morning yes. exerciser, but I'm not going to get up at three 30 in the morning to right, exercise right. for hours before my day begins. And that, that that's an example. I had a client who's like, Oh, so I shouldn't be setting my alarm for three 30. I'm like, no, that's the middle of the night. Like right. you know, that's, <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. To exercise, yeah, you know, to run a certain number of miles before she even went to work. Right. You know, that's, 
it's not yeah. a sustainable um, habit. <laughs> Yeah, pattern. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit about orthorexia. And I want to introduce or, you know, kind of introduce it to my, you know, listeners, because I, I haven't talked about that before on my podcast, but it is something that can be seen in someone that's, you know, really focusing on eating clean or, or moving t- quite a bit. Um, but would you mind describing this and share some of the behaviors that you recognize for orthorexia? Yeah, so orthorexia, I think, is also um, another thing that people could struggle with in terms of just finding balance. And so what it actually is, is when you care about healthy eating, which we want all of viewers to do as bariatric patients and just as humans to take care of yourself. But orthorexia comes around whenever it's taken so extreme that you're having very rigid roles and kind of perfectionistic ideas on um, exactly what or how or when you have to eat. And so when it just gets really rigid or you're trying so hard to be perfect with your macros or calorie goals or limiting your servings to a certain amount and trying to do so perfectly, that can become more restrictive. And so um, along with orthorexia is also this incredible obsession to eat clean and eat pure food. And what happens with that is people start restricting um, individual foods and then they kind of progress to restricting whole food groups. And so we see with orthorexia that there is um, higher risk of malnutrition, dehydration, electrolyte imbalance. And then we also see kind of low self-esteem and depression even emerge because people aren't getting enough nutrition um, to have enough energy for their brain to function or to fuel their workouts. And so, again, orthorexia is just really taking it to an extreme. Um, Some signs and symptoms that you might recognize is if you're really isolating yourself from food gatherings, which is what of most American functions are food gatherings. And it can be really normal to feel overwhelmed with not knowing what foods to choose, maybe in a backyard barbecue or the holidays or a restaurant. Um, it could be really normal the first time that you go out ordering off a menu or just learning how to navigate different eating experiences. But please talk through your treatment team on what your choices are, whether there's a middle ground with having a snack before you go or what you're bringing or just how to navigate the food table so that you're able to make choices that are reasonable enough so that you're still enjoying things in life that are important besides your health and food, like healthy conversations and laughing and listening and good conversations and holiday functions. Um, I had a woman I was working with who just absolutely praised herself on consuming zero sugar for the first six months afterwards. And I didn't, I wanted her to have a treat and she couldn't understand why that was healthy to me. And so when her child's birthday came around and her child wanted, um, you know, just she made her a birthday cake, but then didn't eat it. That was very much a head game. And it was also a mixed message to her child. So she believed that sugar is poison, but she's serving her child cake. And so it's a very confusing message to internalize. And it takes the joy away from celebrating your birthday with your child. And so it's not that the sugar is inherently healthy to consume, but it is healthy to learn how to be flexible and understand moderation so you can blend into our society. And so we just want to have... Um, find reasonable options when you're out. Um, other ways that people isolate is maybe if you go on a date and you're so worried that there's going to be an appetizer that's ordered that might be fried food or someone might propose a cocktail or maybe you want to share a dessert with a loved one. That can create so much anxiety if you have orthorexia that you're not enjoying the conversation with, with that person. Um, and so that's where it becomes too extreme and unhealthy when you're really isolating and 
Um, your other life priorities and values like your family or your career are not getting as much attention. So avoiding um, work situations where there's food, um, that might be really perceived as uh, feeling too good as or like you're too good to be part of us and just being antisocial. And so learning how to blend healthy eating in with our society is very, very difficult, but it's something that we want everyone to practice so that you can feel balanced and have peace in your life. Yeah, I, I just kind of call it pathological healthy eating, right? Where it's just mm-hmm. taken to yeah. such an extreme that you, you're not able to live your life normally. And then again, that restriction piece of things where you're cutting out so much because it's, you know, processed or not, you know, right. not good for you or not, you know, and it's just where your window of what you can eat gets narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. And as a bariatric yeah. patient, you're already, you know, got some restrictions. So then if you... right put that on top of it. I will, one point to make is that orthorexia is not a DSM diagnosis. So it kind of mm-hmm. falls in the other specified category of eating disorders. Um, sure. So it, it can also be harder to identify or diagnose and, and people again, get praised for, oh, you eat so clean, you eat so healthy. Yes. Um, oh, you're just having a salad while the rest of us are eating that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that, and if you look at social media, like clean eating, I mean, I, I, I see like posts about eating clean and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I, we got to stop saying things are clean. I mean, what does that mean? Like well, eating clean, I, I, you I know what I mean? I a lot it's, of it from clients that are on TikTok. Uh, you know, yeah. oh, I saw that yep. and I'm like, TikTok trends yes. are going to yes. kill us all, right? <laughs> I know, I know. Because it's just, yeah, it's just that mixed message. And again, I think a, a lot of that has to do with inherent in our society's kind of messaging about like, we get, uh, we miss kind of label like an overall healthy relationship with food and, and healthy, you know, eating patterns with you have to go even farther to be better. You know what I mean? And you've got to eat cleaner and, and you're going to only see results if you only eat, you know, whole whole foods that have no processing at all. I mean, you know, and, and there's a time and place for all things. And um, I just appreciate you guys highlighting that because um, especially with, you know, active bariatric individuals who are, you know, they're trying to fuel properly or, or you know, f- improve their, their patterns to really be able to do these new movement goals. Um, I think this comes up and, and it's not talked about very frequently. And so I wanted to really introduce that, you know, to the listeners today. And I think that was helpful. Um, and can I just I will oh, make about athletes, I've had athletes yeah. that, you know, once we get them eating more balanced yeah. instead of the, yeah. in the extreme, that their performance actually improves and they totally will not believe it when you tell them that on the front end, but then, you know, the yes. the results, right? Like, oh, it's I so true. This much off my personal best time. I'm like, oh, Oh, right. Isn't that interesting. Yeah. When you're, you're, pro- you know, you're giving your body, yeah, nutrition and nutrients. Yeah. It's going to do better. I know we, we talk a lot about that, you know, because the carbohydrate is, is, you know, the, the, I don't know what you want to call it, but, you know, the one that gets all the bad reviews. And, and it's like carbohydrates are the main energy source for moving our bodies, especially at moderate to high intensity levels. So it's an important piece to be reintroducing. Because, of course, initially, yes, we're really focused on protein, but like liberalizing their intake and, and introducing producing more carbohydrate rich foods is a great great thing and, and you're gonna feel better you're gonna recover better you're gonna move better sleep better you know all those things and I think again at, um, there's a lot of mis kind of information and judgment out there about oh you're eating carbs you know and I'm just like oh my goodness <laughs> I it just it's so frustrating you know when you're working I think with a folks. common disordered habit that I see is when people are restrictive of carbohydrates that a high percentage of them end up binging on carbohydrates or feeling out of control right. so you know maybe they have sure. a protein shake in the morning their lunches 
you know, hard boiled egg and a cheese stick and some almonds, have a Greek yogurt for a snack, meat and vegetables for dinner. And then they're, you know, eating a ginormous bowl of popcorn late at night and feeling out of control, which it, it does feel like that. But what mm-hmm. is what the intervention is not working on emotional or disordered eating. It's making your da- diet more balanced because the body's craving something. And that's hard exactly. for people to recognize, to trust their body, what it's asking for. And so that doesn't mean, you know, eat rows of Oreos late at night, but incorporate more carbohydrates during the day. And you might recognize yeah. that your carbohydrate craving goes down in the mm-hmm. evening. So that could look like Absolutely. restricting during the week and kind of Um, It's not cheating on the weekend. It's just maybe starving for carbohydrates on the weekend. And that feels out of control. So if we're consistently getting carbohydrates throughout the day, then sometimes that disordered habit even just goes away. Yeah. No, I love that. That's so, that's so true. That's such a great point that you made. Um, So quick question. So if an active individual with a history of bariatric surgery notices that they're getting obsessed with calories consumed or calories burned, um, you know, weight, body composition, um, do you have any tips for them to work on this? Yeah. So being obsessed with numbers is another hard thing, I think, to find balance on because you want to be conscious of the calories that you're consuming or maybe calories that you're burning and the time that you're spending working out or what your weight is doing or how it's fluctuating. But when you're finding yourself obsessed with numbers and making health related decisions primarily based off the number, which meaning ignoring how do you feel physically, I think that's very unhealthy. And so um, there's a lot of food records that are um, so numbers focused that I think people believe that they're supposed to you know, get those perfectionistic views of eating the right amount of calories every single day. And if they don't, then they maybe throw in the towel or don't want to keep doing it because they feel judged. Um, there's a, a resource that I use with clients called Recovery Record, and it is a much more mindful based um, food record approach and m- helps people be aware of their behaviors and how they're physically feeling maybe before, during, or after they eat something. And there is a bariatric component to it. So you can um, customize it to ask you the questions that are most beneficial for you. And examples would be, uh, did you eat that meal mindfully? Did you re- did you remember to carry your water bottle with you today? Um, what are your uh, bowel movement habits like? Did you prioritize your protein? Did you consume some fruits and vegetables? And so it really helps people with accountability because if you're finding yourself obsessed with um, macronutrients or calories, not doing it all might be too anxiety provoking because you don't feel like there's that middle ground of some accountability or awareness. And so recovery record can really help people make sure they're kind of checking the boxes of behavioral. Did I move my body today? Did I take my vitamins? Did I chew my food thoroughly? If not, what can I do better tomorrow? So to really focus on the behavior strategies and get your focus off of the numbers. So I think Recovery Record could be a really valuable app that some people download. Um, As far as being obsessed with the number on the scale, I don't think there's a one fits all approach. I think some people do well with weighing once a week. Some people do well with weighing monthly. Some people benefit when they don't weigh at all and maybe just save that for a dietitian or doctor's office. Um, But I do think that weighing less is valuable if you're finding yourself obsessed with your weight. And initially that was frequently, less frequently. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You might find yourself um, anxious if you are making food decisions based off of what you weighed that morning. But that's what we want you to get away from. We want you to be more aware of, hey, I'm mildly constipated. So I need to work on some high fiber carbohydrates or some produce for the next couple days. Or maybe I need to drink more water because I haven't gone to the bathroom for what feels normal to me. Or, man, I 
really been enjoying, I don't know, X, Y, and Z. And so I don't think I've been prioritizing my protein. Let me get my protein drinks back in in the morning. And so just really reflecting and being honest with yourself on behaviors that's how we want you to make decisions based off what you're eating, not what did you weigh this morning. Um, what right. I find really beneficial when I work with my clients, for most people that struggle with disordered eating, is that I suggest that they let me weigh them when they come into my office. And I do give them feedback, which would be something as simple as your weight is stable, you're up a little, you're down a little, just how it's trending. Because I want them to know and I want them to be in tune with their body on how they're feeling. If you've yo-yoed and fluctuated a lot in your life without weighing at all, it could feel really scary and your weight could trend one way or the other and you wouldn't know. So I think it's helpful to have um, honest feedback without being obsessed with that number. So if you are obsessing with number, my advice is that you weigh less. If you're weighing multiple times a day, my advice would be weigh first thing in the morning. If you're weighing every single day, you might need to cut back to every other day. And again, initially that will create more anxiety. In the long run, it creates a more peaceful relationship with yourself and food. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree. I know. Um, I know you guys know Nina Crowley. I had her on um, from Sika because I, I'm a big proponent of um, body composition, and you know, again, and it, that's not a very frequent you know measurement either, um, because I feel like it gives you a, a little bit better overall picture of what's kind of happening in terms of trends, you know, with muscle mass and and you know that lean um, muscle mass and and then body fat percentage and other compartments of the body. And I thought it was so helpful when I had Nina on because she talked about you know that it's it, it gives you a, a bigger picture that's more um not so impacted by just small day-to-day fluctuations and you know I, I talked about this on a previous episode about things that can impact the number on the scale and a lot of it you don't you, you can't control it you know uh, if your body's retaining water you can't tell your body don't do that you know and if you had a hard workout we can retain water if we, you know you're going to have your period or if you had a hard um if you had um higher carbohydrate the day before i mean all these things can impact the number on the scale and you have zero control over what the magnitude of that is going to be you know what i mean right. and so i feel like the number on the scale can be you know it, it can be so frustrating for folks to focus on as kind of that outcome of success or, or not well and especially for your population that you work with athletes i mean if they're building muscle like right yeah or the scale is going to go up (laughs) right yeah that's gonna yeah change things yeah yeah absolutely so should someone decide that they need additional support for disordered eating or compulsive exercise can you give us an idea of what that would entail sure the the gold standard for treatment is a multidisciplinary team approach so having a dietitian on board having a therapist on board medical provider um for your population, like where does the exercise physiologist or trainer fit in? Because there's a lot of people who are trainers that are giving messages that are counter to the messages we give. So, or they might, you know, be giving kind of pseudo nutritional advice and like, or even medical advice. So I think everyone kind of has to know their lane, but have, have the right team assembled. Um, and, you know, ideally looking for people who specialize in eating disorders or, you know, compulsive exercise, those kind of things, you know, I know that's not always completely accessible, you know, post COVID it's been nice because virtual options are, um, right. more, more available. Um, but definitely somebody that's got familiarity working with both eating disorders and bariatrics would be, would be the ideal, <laughs> Um, yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like just asking, um, for example, reaching out to like your your primary care doctor or maybe your surgical your bariatric surgical team might be able to be a good starting point to find resources? Hopefully, they've got some ideas of who in the community does that. Um, I've I have seen where people don't 
don't know that. So, you know, doing some kind of research on their own. Um, you know, there's different websites that you, know, you can look specifically for an eating disorder specialist. So Eating Disorder Alliance has a whole database, for example, um, of providers. Um, and then also some of the other, you know, health profs and psychology today, you can kind of click on what your issues are. And so if you put in eating disorders or compulsive exercise, those kind of things, you know, it, it'll narrow down your pool of possible um, providers based on the specialty. Um, But also, you know, I think making sure as a bariatric patient that you're asking whoever you're working with, what's your familiarity and comfort level with bariatric surgery patients? Because that's kind of a whole another ballgame. Right. Another layer. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, I'm excited to talk a little bit about your book. Um, you guys co-authored a book titled Very Educated, An Integrated Health Guide for Dietitians and Behavioral Health Specialists Caring for Bariatric Surgery Patients. And it's so congratulations on that. <laughs> that's okay. That's great though. Congratulations. When did that come out? So I'm going to ban a white There here. it is. Yeah. <laughs> I see it. I love it. So when, when did that come out, ladies? When did that, when did you publish June. it? We kind of launched it at ASMBS this year. So, Oh, that's so excited. Yeah. That's exciting, I should say. Um, so can you tell us, like, who might find this resource helpful and what it covers? So anyone who treats metabolic and bariatric surgery patients, um, it's especially geared towards, you know, dietitians and therapists um, because that's sure. what we do. But I've had other people in other realms read it and say, oh, this was be really helpful. I mean, yeah, for the surgeons to read or the bariatric coordinator to kind of understand the full picture, because it is very comprehensive. It goes through everything from, you know, pre-op to to post-op, and then what are some of the post-op complications. And then obviously, because of our specialty, there's a large portion of it devoted to eating disorders. So kind of the other people that could benefit from reading it are eating disorder specialists who aren't familiar with the bariatric world. So kind of bridging the gap between the two. But um, really anyone in integrated health, but anyone who treats bariatric patients at all. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And how can folks listening learn more about the book to share with their professional support team or connect with Bari Educated personally? Yeah, so we have a website and it's called B, which is B-E, so Be Bari Educated. And um, you're welcome to follow us on Facebook at Bari Educated or LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Awesome. Okay. Well, gosh, thank you so much for your time today. I so appreciate it. And I want all my viewers, please go follow and, 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 you know, just try to learn. I I think that your resources, even though it might be geared for more professionals, I still think that, you know, anyone that's had bariatric surgery can still learn, you know, a lot about just being more mindful of, you know, our relationship with both food, movement, et cetera. And I just appreciate your, your expertise because I think, you know, we, there's not a lot of people that specialize in this area. Thank you honor to be on today. Thank you. Awesome. I appreciate your time. So give them a follow you guys. And and just as a reminder, you can watch the full uh, video of this podcast episode on my YouTube channel, the Active Bariatric Nutrition Channel. Um, So make sure to subscribe to it. Give it a like so you know when we post uh, this video. And also, if you wouldn't mind just sharing this podcast episode with anyone that you think would find this information helpful, we want to really just spread science-backed information and and be a good resource for uh, bariatric individuals. And then if you'd like to follow me on my social media, you can on Instagram, which is at Active Bariatric, as well as on my Facebook and TikTok channels. I do have a private Facebook community that you can ask to be a member of, which is called the Active Bariatric Nutrition Community. So go give that a 
check that out if you don't mind. And then if you'd like to learn more about my one-to-one bariatric nutrition coaching services, please go to my website, which is activebariatricnutrition.com and schedule a free discovery call so that we can learn more about each other. So again, ladies, thank you so much for your time and for being here today. I appreciate it. And we will do this again next week. Take care, everybody. 